Hi everyone, we're here to talk about episode 402. Um, I'm Tony Graffia, executive producer and writer for Outlander, and today I have with me Luke Skelhas, our co-executive producer-writer. Um, Luke's brought a whiskey today. It's his first podcast uh, <laughs> with us, so uh, he's uh, had the honor of bringing the... the uh, it's a bourbon. It's a bourbon. Uh, it's a Noah's Mill bourbon. We're in America now, so we are doing um, American bourbons uh, this season. Um, thanks, Luke. Um, Absolutely. The episode is written by Karen Campbell. It's called Do No Harm. And this, of course, is a reference to um, Claire's Hippocratic Oath that she took as a physician. And it's... She's had this dilemma before in another episode where uh, no matter what, she has sworn to um, try to save lives. And she even tried to save the life last year um, in another episode that Karen wrote uh, of a man who actually attacked her and tried to kill her. So here she tries to save another life and we'll see what happens. Uh, the grandfather clock in the title cards was chosen. I believe it was chosen by Karen. I think so. Um, it's it's sort of a symbol of the episode of uh, a recurring symbol that they're up against the clock in this particular episode that starts out with them on the riverboat as they're heading upriver to River Run to see Aunt Jocasta in the wake of um, what happened at the end of our, our previous episode, which is that they were viciously attacked by Stephen Bonnet and his uh, group of, of ruffians who uh, killed their friend Leslie and stole um, Claire's wedding ring, which was pretty devastating to yeah. them. And so now they're penniless as they approach uh, his aunt's plantation. Jamie's feeling really bad because... You know, Stephen Bonnet was able to take advantage of him, of both of them, really, in the wake of the death of their friend Hayes, who was hung um, in the premiere episode. And they believed Bonnet to be a friend of Hayes, and they trusted him. And now Jamie, who's very hard on himself, can't forgive himself for because if he hadn't let this uh, vicious murderer go, um, they wouldn't have been attacked. He feels really bad about it. But they're arriving now at River Run. I think all the writers were really looking forward this season to the introduction of Jocasta. She's oh, yes. a favorite character among the fans. And, Absolutely. You know, we wanted an, an introduction to her that uh, befitting of, of Jamie's great aunt. And, um, well, she's not his great aunt. She's an aunt, his aunt, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, but she, aunt, yes. run, she owns this plantation and she does it alone because her husband has passed away. And she's a very important, very prominent woman in the community. And Jamie's a little nervous about meeting her. Um, and he also feels, as you mentioned, he, 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 what happened in the previous episode, he feels, is his fault. And also now he's approaching her with not a penny to his name and no sense of where to go after this um, what plans they had seemed to have been devastated in the previous episode, and it's almost as if they're starting over again. And here we see Aunt Jocasta. Ah, uh, we love this actress. All of us uh, are so enamored of Maria Doyle Kennedy, who we were lucky to get to play this part. Um, she does a wonderful job of embodying sort of the the regalness of Jocasta and the the power of this woman in this period. Um, and the trick here in this episode was we wanted, I mean, in this opening, is to sh that we didn't want it to be immediately apparent that Jocasta is blind. Right. And we wanted, uh, the dialogue was written, everything was choreographed, so that at first you think she can see. And because she is such a powerful woman, she's not the kind of woman that this becomes um, uh you know, something that she has to grapple with. She, you know, she doesn't let it um, affect how she runs things. She still 
very much in charge and um, they slowly notice Claire notices only when uh, you'll see coming up when Ian goes to hand her the flowers yes that's a wonderful wonderful is not quite the right word but a, a, a turn for Claire here who is enjoying uh, meeting this woman for the first time and then pretty soon realizes the sort of place that this is. Yeah. I mean, I think Claire was probably coming into this, the whole the whole journey here, with a, a little bit of dread in her heart because she knows, she knows what a plantation is and yeah. she knows what's going to be there when she arrives is the slave culture. And of course... Uh, Jamie and Claire did see, you know, slaves back in Jamaica uh, last season when they were there for episode 12. Um, so they witnessed the slave market um, and, you know, realized that, that in this this era, this century that Claire's in, that was a way of life. But she hasn't, you know, in, you know encountered it. Encountering it in Jamie's family is especially disturbing to have to go, and I uh, think she's she's trepidatious about it. Um, but trying, she knows how much this means to Jamie. Yes, Jacosta is the sister of his mother, who was his beloved mother, who passed away when he was very young, and this is very very emotional for Jamie to to reconnect with a relative he hasn't seen since he was like two years old, and. Um, it's going to be a mixed, a mixed experience for them. Indeed. <laughs> Clara really doesn't want to stay long, <laughs> but Jocasta is so thrilled that they're there. She's gone through, I think, four husbands. Yes. And um, she really doesn't have any family here in America. She's from Scotland and left Scotland uh, right after Culloden. And these are the first relatives she's seen and the, the only family she really has. So she's uh, just overjoyed to have Jamie here. And she's, you know, as we're going to see, do everything she can to keep him here. Yeah. This set is such a oh. beautiful <laughs> piece of architecture as well. Oh, right. Um, this is the first time we're seeing this. It set. is, yeah. Gary Steele outdid himself on River Run. It's it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> I know they did a lot of research and said that, you know, the building, it doesn't look like what you would imagine an antebellum plantation to look like. Because when you say plantation, everyone automatically um, envisions the antebellum mm. Civil War period. This was earlier in the 1700s and it was a little different it was still grand but not quite as massive as like tara plantation yeah. and uh but it's still very very um a lot fancier than what they were used to on the uh the travel the journey up from georgia <laughs> when they first landed after the hurricane This is uh, Ulysses, played by Colin McFarlane. He did uh, a wonderful job. He's He plays um, Ulysses, who is Jocasta's, basically, he's her eyes and, and guides her and takes care of her and is very loyal to her. And they have a bit of a special uh, relationship in that he's very devoted to her. Um, but I think he's a little skeptical of these newcomers. Oh, yeah. He's a little wary because he's very protective of Jocasta. Um, and here we meet Phaedra, who's played by Natalie Simpson. She is such a gem. We were so lucky to find her. She does a lovely job um, playing Phaedra and... Claire, here's where she starts, mm -hmm. you know, she she asks the slaves to call her by her first name, which really is puzzling to them, and Ulysses clocks it because people are right away seeing that Claire's very different. It makes them uncomfortable, in yes. fact. Um, 
Uh, yeah, they don't quite know what to do with it. It's not something that they've really encountered um, from someone like Claire, this, this sort of kindness and, and um, egalitarianism. And this is a, I, this look on her face where she sees this. Yeah. Well, remember uh, back in Boston, her best friend uh, was Joe Abernathy. Yeah. And they were doctors together, you know, and went to med school together. And she, it's, it's very painful for Claire. It's a lot to face, you know. Go, when you go back in time, you always imagine how fantastic it'll be. Um, you think, oh, I'll get to see a different world, but you don't think about the things that are awful, the things that have now changed. Um, and she's got to wrestle with that. Um, you think about how if you went back, you would want to change things. You'd want to just scream and tell everyone this is wrong and try to make a change. But if you're one person, it's very, you cannot come back to a whole new world and make that change, although you can try you because, can, you know, you often one person can make a difference. And that's you'll see later what they try to do um, is maybe make the spark just of a to change. to begin a change, yeah. Here we meet John Quincy Myers. He's played by Kyle Reese, and again, what a gem of a find. We were just so excited. The casting for this season was some of the funnest uh, casting we've ever done. And when we saw him, we were just like, yep, this is <laughs> Myers. I think he brings like a charisma and a zest for life uh, to this role. And I love the relationship with him and young Ian because young Ian right off the bat starts to be fascinated um, with the, um, the natives. And we see the beginnings of that here because uh, John Quincy knows the mountains really well, has interacted with, with the natives and is a, it no, has a lot of knowledge about it that he will impart to young Ian. Yeah, I thought it That's was an inter interesting line. Yeah, very interesting. It's we see that young Ian, he's very progressive like his uncle Jamie, and he sees um, a similarity between the Native Americans and the, the Highlanders. And John Quincy is kind of quick to remind him, like, hmm, you might, you might not want to mention that around here. It's not looked at too favorably. <laughs> uh, you know, keep, I think John Quincy is obviously open-minded. Um, so they're kind of kindred spirits. But he's like, keep that to yourself because the people here are much narrow, more narrow-minded yeah. and would not embrace this kind of, uh, you know, liberal and accepting attitude towards, you know, what they consider the savages. Well, Jocasta gives them sort of a tour, a little rundown of what the plantation grows and, and produces. Claire, I, I love it that in the beginning she's really trying to bite her tongue and not, you know, and not be too opinionated and speak up because she knows that this is important to Jamie and she's trying to be polite, but it's eating away at her. It's just really, really hard to stomach. She looks out at that field, she pictures... There could be a man like Joe Abernathy, mm -hmm. who she knew was a good friend out there, and just how oppressive this society is. And she's seen slavery, well, once before in, in, in Jamaica, and she saw a slave market, and she saw how horrible that was, and she knows what, she knows what goes on. She knows from history, being someone from the 60s, how long it takes for this to be eradicated, mm -hmm. and it's, um, as you say, just so hard for her. Yeah, Jamie's uh, giving her some looks here yeah. because he knows what's coming. He knows how she feels. He knows it's going to be a challenge for her to hold her tongue, and Claire's never been good at holding her tongue, and, and here she wants to say, you know, it, it's hard not to ask somebody, how could you do this, and why are 
why are you know you okay with keeping people as property and Jocasta of course has no idea because being in this culture in this time she really doesn't know any different and she's only doing what she thinks is the norm and she actually thinks that the slaves are happy that she's as long as she's good to them that that's what matters and of course that do, that doesn't that doesn't count it doesn't fix things um, but it was important for us to play the reality of the mindset of the time, I think. Absolutely. You know, um, to do justice to this issue, as hard as that was for us, you know. It... Yeah, we had a lot of uh, discussions in the writer's room about, you know, how, how to, to uh, tackle this episode. We knew it would be very difficult. We knew... Um, that we had a responsibility here and you know there was talk you know of of some that want you know thought it was so painful to portray that perhaps we should go a little lighter on it and maybe downplay some of this especially you know sometimes when you're thinking about your characters and whether they're you know the word they always use in television which is likable the characters have to be likable and and there's a fear sometimes that if they have certain attitudes or opinions or do certain things that they won't be likable but you have to be true to the character and um it would be an injustice to try to uh sugarcoat mm. the slavery issue and i know that um merrill matt and i and and all of the writers felt very strongly about um not trying to sugarcoat things and really playing it uh as as it was, even with all the 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 horrific nature of it, because that's the way it was, and and it wouldn't be right to try uh, to downplay it. You know, I think we've all there's been people in all of our lives where maybe we liked them, but they held some crazy ideas or some ideas that we vehemently disagreed with that we know were wrong. Um, and if you, you know, fight with or dismiss someone, you're, kind, you're not going to maybe make, make a difference where you have a chance to change someone's opinion. And I think that's what Claire thinks, that if she gets to know Jocasta and puts these questions forth, that it could make this woman think about what she's really doing. And so... Yet what's interesting about it and challenging when you're writing something like this is is that they're in this very polite button-down society here where certain things just aren't talked about. Yeah. And yet Claire's kind of tr trying to make points with J to Jocasta. And so they have this kind of verbal sparring that's going on, but it's all kind of under the radar. It's all like, and Phaedra's there hearing it and kind of like, Phaedra's got a little bit of a special position with Jocasta because she's Jocasta's personal um, servant that takes care of her and they have a little bit of a special relationship and Jaca and Phaedra's a little bit of a pot stirrer. She likes, <laughs> she likes to uh, put out little zingers and stir up a little trouble here and there and I think she's very uh, sort of intrigued by this, this newcomer woman who seems to be challenging Jocasta yeah. and she's enjoying sort of the sparring between them <laughs> this, uh, she's teasing Jocasta about uh, Lieutenant Wolf flirting with her. Yes. Wolf is an interesting character and is sort of. Yeah, the actor that plays Lieutenant Wolf. Yes, uh, Lee Boardman. He, um, he was another great find. Yeah. And he, um, yeah, he has some agenda here that we're just beginning to sort of play out. <laughs> Here's a moment of Claire beginning to be a little more direct with Jocasta. I like how Jocasta's blind, so she can't see Claire's expression. <laughs> but when you're, 
you know, when you're blind, you don't have your sight, your other senses are heightened. And she can hear even by the slight shift of tone or the cadence of her voice that there's a disapproval there. And, you know, she invites it here. Jocasta's like, so you got a problem with this? What's the deal, you know? <laughs> so Claire, Claire's trying to make nice for Jamie's sake, but if Jocasta opens the door a crack, she's going through it. <laughs> she's going to say what she thinks. Yeah. Hmm. Although I think Jocasta admires a woman who speaks her mind because Jocasta does. So she can she can see what Jamie saw in Claire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what she sees. I think um you know Maria Doyle Kennedy is Irish. Mm -hmm. um, and also a fantastic singer, if anyone wants to uh, Google her. She's an amazing uh, performing artist. Um, and I think uh, Katrina being Irish, I think the two of these got along, uh, two of these ladies got along great. And I think that uh, accounts for some of the chemistry, the cool chemistry between them. So Jocasta throws this big party. Now Jocasta, don't forget, is a Mackenzie. And we all know what that means. <laughs> um, she, she's a lot like her brother, Dougal. And she's always got something up her sleeve. <laughs> Interesting reaction there from young Ian. Mm -hmm. He, as much as any of our characters, really falls in love with America and um, the, the colonies and, and the sort of life here mm -hmm. and the idea of wilderness and all of that. Yeah, he does. He's, he's the most like Jamie. He's adventuresome, and yeah. he also is a progressive thinker and a more open-minded. <laughs> now here's where she's going to just gobsmack <laughs> Jamie and Claire. She's very generous here, obviously, leaving her plantation to him and, and wanting him to start running it immediately. But uh, like Dougal, she's, this is really a manipulation where she has a, an agenda here. She did it without giving him any heads up. No. And she puts Jamie on the spot. Right. And he's very thrown by it. Claire's not happy at all. And after the party, they... Now, this is interesting because in the book, uh, one change that we had, uh, Jamie has offered River Run and says he'll think about it. And he, I believe they travel a bit, and it takes him quite a while to come to the decision. He takes weeks. And Claire, though she has her strong opinion, she says, um, I'll... You know, I'll go along with whatever you want, Jamie. I'll back you up, but I know that you'll make the right decision. Because she trusts Jamie's conscious that he's not going to uh, take River Run. But we felt it was important for the show, um, for the progression we've built with this couple so far, that she would just, we made the decision to just have her flat out say, as soon as this comes up, she just goes, Jamie, I'm not owning slaves. Right. I'm just not doing it. And... Um, there was just no way that we could make them dwell on this decision. No. We only have an hour to tell this story, and so I don't think we have to wonder what Claire's position is here. 
and uh, but it puts but puts them in a rock and a hard place um because Jamie he's very idealistic and so he you know he has a chance here to be a laird to to own property to have tenants to be the leader and the you know that he was born to be and so he gets in a way he gets everything he ever wanted on a silver platter but it comes with this you know this cloud over it which is slavery and he doesn't want slaves any more than she does but he sees it as an opportunity to maybe maybe they could do something to change things here well that I- that idea that that you could light a spark that that causes a larger cha- uh, change yes. down the road that that it does take one person to to begin the change for good that's right we we actually struggled a lot with how to portray this whole sequence and i think it it was matt that came up with the whole the put into words the idea of a spark because they're not so naive to think that they could just come and change you know 13 colonies or the entire new world they can't just come with their progressive ideas and and change things but if they could just change one estate one plantation and say i'm going to do this differently um, and the door was open to them when on the riverboat in the premiere episode, um, they learned that Eutruclus, uh, who worked as a riverman for Captain Freeman, that he had actually, he wasn't a slave. He had been freed by the captain because he saved the captain's life. And that there is this clause in the law that if you uh, do a meritorious deed, you can be granted freedom. And Jamie uses that plus, you know, he goes to the lawyer and says, look, I'll take the plantation, but here's here's my idea. I, I want to run it a different way. I want to free them all, pay them wages. And of course, this is like outrageous. Like this is so crazy that anyone in this town would ever say something that crazy that it's just met with this guy's a Farquhard Campbell's aghast. Yeah. And and he shows very plainly why it is essentially impossible that that the laws make it absolutely impossible for Jamie and Claire to do what they want to do the Jane, the, the the laws are written so that this this cannot even possibly happen no and Jamie's determined but what's key here is what he says what Farquhar said is at the end of the scene which is it's it's not just your opinion it's that your you're entitled to your opinion, but your opinion is dangerous. You can say these things, but if you say these things outside this room, you are putting yourself and River Run at risk, and even the slaves, because the community won't stand for it. And that is really the biggest um, obstacle in their way, is you can find a loophole in the law, sure, but you can't change your plantation because you're setting a precedent. And if you do that, it me- it's gonna have a ripple effect and amongst all the other neighboring plantations, and those neighbors are not going to stand for that. So you're crazy to go about spouting these ideas. You're going to get yourself killed and other people killed. And Jamie's like, I'm not afraid because I've fought before for the things I believed in, but I think it's devastating to him to realize it's a way more of an uphill battle than he thought it would be. He was very idealistic, and we love him for that. It's that age-old thing where where practicality is offered as as an argument for not doing the right thing. You know? Right, right. And I think Jocasta's on the fence because she she might even admire him a little for being such a uh, strong-minded and well-intentioned nephew, um, but she knows that he's up against a brick wall and that there's no way anything's going to change. But she encouraged Farquhar to hear him out um, as a way to maybe pacify Jamie and get him to stay. Like, maybe if he tries and it doesn't work, he'll feel at least he tried, and he'll still stay and take River Run. But, of course, Jamie's like, look, if I can't change things, uh, then we're not doing this. And here they talk again about the deal with the devil that Tryon offered, because on one hand, they could leave here and take the land from Tryon, but it would only mean that they would be beholden to him, and they might end up fighting in a war. So they're starting to feel that this land of possibility 
America that they came that had so much potential, all they've done is run into obstacles whichever way they turn. Well, now they're about to come up against the thing you were just talking about, Luke, which is the laws of the of the of this um, this area, the law of bloodshed, which says that if a slave draws blood on a white man, there that's unacceptable, and there's no court. You know, there's no court for slaves. There's no trial. There's no um, you know innocent until proven guilty. If if this happens, it's like they immediately. Uh, put the slave to death yeah. and it's very harsh and it's not fair and Jamie and Claire have not seen something quite like this ever well and that shock from Claire there that she's she thought she was coming to help someone uh, in medical need but yes. realizing they're actually here to, to oversee an execution of a, a slave oh ah, uh, this is just It was it was hard to put on the page, and it was hard to film, and it's hard to watch. Mm -hmm. um, but this is what happened, and now here is our biggest change from the source material. Um, in the book, they take Rufus down. And Claire tries to minister to him and save his life. And she realizes very quickly that she's up against this, this mob and, and the law. And that if but she... they'll never let him live. Yeah, that if she saves him, it, it's not going to matter. They're just going to immediately kill him. And in the book, she decides to let him go uh, and have a peaceful death. Um, I always forget, people People that are listening to this have probably watched the episode already, so I'm always, uh, I don't want to have a spoiler, but I think people who have read the books or seen this episode know what know what happens. Um, but we, we did make the decision to, instead of having Claire make that decision in the moment at the sawmill, um, they take him back to the house. We didn't want her to give up so quickly. Right. We wanted to show that she was going to fight with everything in her being to save this man. Um, she brings him back. I think it's shocking that she, you know, she brings a, a slave back and puts him on the dining room table. You know, she's got young Ian there. He always has, has helped her medically with her um, healing. And the, the slaves are in shock. They, they've never seen anything like this. They're they, in shock they less at what's <laughs> happened to Rufus than, than by... Claire's actions of bringing him into the dining room and setting him on the table. I, I, I oh, think. they, you know, it, it, Jocasta's going to be shocked by this. This is like unheard of in this era, in this time, that this woman is trying to save him. But this is why we love Claire. She doesn't, she doesn't care what people think. She is, she sees someone suffering and she's going to help them. Um, This actor, by the way, um, Jerome Holder, who plays Rufus, uh, in a very, very difficult role. I I can't imagine what it was like to even have to act this part, but he did a phenomenal job. Hmm. Hmm. God. This is brutal, and again, this is Outlander, so you know. We don't shy away. We've seen a lot of brutality. We've done a lot of episodes that, you know, where there were horrific uh, things happening. And J. 
Jocasta, ironically, liked Rufus. Uh, in the book, she he was like one of her favorites that she was friendly with. That she 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 feels bad, genuinely bad for him. But unfortunately, her mindset is very much that the law is law. So it's it the, it's not in her power. It's out of her hands, mm-hmm. and she, it wouldn't occur to her to say no. Um, I'm not going to allow him to be killed because she she has to abide by the laws of the place that she lives. And and again it's it's, it's the practicality of what this means for her plantation, for the community, for the other slaves and that is what she is uh thinking about what is going through her mind and how that keeps you from from doing the right thing yeah she she's put in the position of having to sort of defend jamie by saying she's basically saying don't mind him he's an idiot you know he's my nephew and he's got some crazy ideas and but he he has good intentions but he just doesn't understand how we live you know and jamie kind of has to sit still for this in this moment. He's trying to figure out what to do. She's trying to, you know, get him a pass on this by just saying he's not familiar with our ways. The ironic thing is that these guys admit that Rufus should not have been hung like that on a hook. They were taking the law into their own hands. But they're only upset that they were, those guys, the overseers, overseers were administering their own justice in the moment as opposed to letting uh, the proper authorities right. be the ones to hang Rufus. So that's a sort of a backwards argument there. Like, yeah, they did the wrong thing, but... You know, they should have let us take care of him, um, which doesn't help Jamie's situation. So you mean Claire and Jamie in a way, they are changing things in terms of setting an example, even for the younger generation like young Ian. You know, he would have maybe lived his whole life on Lollybrock in a, on a farm and not had these these travels and these adventures and been exposed to this. But when he sees the bravery and the dedication of Claire to her medicine and when he sees their progressive ideas in action, he embraces them and he is open-minded and she's... She's changed him in his yeah. life, and in some small way, um, that's doing some good, too, because I think he's like, wow, I, he would have never had a chance to meet someone like her or learn that there's a different way of living out there. And I like that look from young Ian too. The, where what you're talking about, the that admiration that he has for her in that moment. It's partly that she says what's on her mind. It's partly that she says the truth. You know. Yeah. This is a good bonding moment for Claire and Rufus because here's where she learns that he doesn't even have family here, that he was stolen from his family, and that he has a sister, Abena, and that he has memories of her and him playing as a child. Um, And this Claire getting to know him Mm -hmm. a little here and... You know, that's something that in the book we don't really get to know Rufus. He's 
you know, it, it happens so quickly that all we know is here's a slave that's been injured and, and ends up dying at her hands. But here, you know, we wanted room in this episode for her to know him, for her, you know, him. for the audience and, and everyone else to see him as a person who has family, who, lo- who has people he loves and that loved him. And, of course, Claire will use this information later in the episode um, when she needs to comfort him. She can remind him about his sister. You know, actually in the book, this this uh, incident happens before the party, before Jamie is, is given River Run. Um, we swapped it up and oh, yeah. did the party where he's given River Run so that he could have a little bit of hope that he could change things. And then this incident becomes an escalation where he realizes, good, good God, if this is happening, how am I ever going to free 150 slaves when this is this kind of thing is going on. Now, this scene here with Ulysses, um, I think was one of the favorites of the writers because you don't expect this from Ulysses. Um, you expect all the slaves to be on her side and to be, you know, uh, good for you. You're trying to save our brother here, you know, you know, but he doesn't see her as this like white savior, you know, he, he is, been here a long time. He knows how things work and he has the, he is outspoken and maybe senses that he can speak her mind with her because of how open-minded she is. And he tells her what's what. He tells her, listen, you didn't necessarily do a good thing here because they're going to kill him anyway. In fact, they're going to kill him in a, a worse way than he would have died if you would have just let him go back at the sawmill. And that is a very harsh thing for Claire to hear, but, um, I think this is one of the key scenes in the whole script that yeah. that she hears the the truth that she's she's swimming upstream here. There's no way she's going to win this and that even the slaves they're you know they're not grateful and you know cheering her on for what she's doing. They not that they don't maybe appreciate it down deep that she's trying and but in some ways, in a lot of ways, sometimes people that come into a place that they don't realize, you know, where the minefields are, sometimes in trying to do good, if they don't do it in a certain way, they can actually make things worse for people. And so um, I I'm, I think it's important to, to show that and that we do that a lot on our show. We just not just like, hey, these are the heroes that come in and fix things. Uh, some things can't be fixed that simply. And you need to see the reality of what they're up against. And so uh, not every episode is a win. You know, not every episode has a happy ending, and this one is not going to. I think we all know that. Jamie. To bring this news to Claire, yeah. Really hard. And there's the clock on the episode. We have until midnight, Claire. He knows what this means to her, and she knows without him even saying it that they're at the end of the line here. And he knows the oath she took, and he's seen her a million times say, I'm going to save this person no matter what. And I like that he tells her, look, if you want to, you know, if you want to try to save this guy, I'll stand by you. And I... I mean, I believe that Jamie would have stood by the door with pistols and said, go through me to get to her if, if she had said, no, I'm not giving him up. But I think she knows from Jamie's tone and from what's going on that there's no way to fight this. In fact, um, it puts the other slaves at danger because apparently they had a law that if, you know, if for some reason that slave wasn't able to take his punishment, they would just go kill 
the others who were there that day or his family or and make them pay. And mm. that that made the slaves reluctant to try to escape or dodge any kind of punishment they were up for because they knew it would fall to someone else that they cared about. So and here comes the the angry mob, which is also not not in the book. But we thought it was important to show that that's one of the big obstacles here is that the other plantation owners, the other the townspeople, the people in the community that are going to be affected by this and don't want it to happen. Mm-mm. They don't want leniency here. They want the law to be followed. They want judgment. Right. Well, they don't want their way of life changed. Right. They don't want that apple cart upset. And I mean, they're outsiders here. It's very funny, but not funny, but ironic that here, Jamie's an outlander. He's, hmm. he's not of this place. And so he's experiencing some of what Claire experiences of being the stranger in a strange land. And they're not going to let this guy come and tell them how they should run their, their plantations and their lives with these crazy new ideas. And Jamie doesn't want to do this to Jocasta. He loves her. She's still family to him. He comes up with this idea from, do you remember uh, how Claire did this? From season two? For Colum. Yep. This scene was actually added late in the game. I remember that we were in the room with Claire, Jamie, and Rufus for so long, and we could hear the mob outside, but I believe when we were watching some of the dailies, we realized we need something to cut away to, and Karen added this scene sort of at the last minute and said, let's have Jocasta go out um, and try to pacify the crowd and hold them off to give Jamie a a chance at solving this. Yeah. And to put a literal clock on it. Yeah. That we wanted that literal clock. That's why we feature the grandfather clock in the episode. Mm. Impossible decision. Ah, it's just insanity. So Claire comes to a really heartbreaking decision here. Well, the best thing she can do for him now is to give him this uh, peaceful death. And that's, again, why I think the scene with uh, Ulysses was so key. Uh, Because basically, even he said to her, don't let them tear him to... Don't let that mob tear him to shreds. And, you know... She knows what awaits him. I mean, I think it was different for Colum because Colum was suffering. He was an old man. He was at the end of his life. And he asked her uh, to give him the peaceful death. And even then she struggled with that. But here, this is a young man. And this is a man that did not deserve this. And he has, he doesn't know that he's dying. No. Um, and in fact, it's a man that she has just now saved from yeah. his injuries. She... She had to heal him only to let him go, and that's a unique situation and, a, and, and probably the most awful situation that a physician sworn to do no harm could ever do, to be put in that position. So, But 
the the kindest thing she can do is to send him away with this uh, lovely memory of his sister that he told her earlier. Again, this uh, this actor did such a amazing job, and and Claire holding his hand there, uh, the black and white hands entwined. Actually, uh, uh, we have that in our main title um, for this That's season right. because right. it was an important part of this season. The experiences they had um, in these early episodes with slavery and River Run. And it's midnight. And they don't give even an extra second. It's just awful. Yeah. Mm. That's the shot from the main title. I know p people probably watched that main title in the early episode and try to guess what that is. And I like how our main titles have, you know, images and you know they're to come somewhere in the season and then you don't know how they fit in. And then mm -hmm. you see them and you go, oh, that's what it's from. And I bet, you know, no one will be able to watch that main title again without sort of a, a chill up their back when they see that image because it's so powerful of Claire trying to hold on to him and help him. And this is just heartbreaking. Uh, Jamie praying in voiceover over having to deliver the body. He delivers them as he promised. And they're going to do mm. whatever they want to do to him, but it's too late. Uh, they, did they did manage to save Rufus from this. It's not much, but... It's something, and that's all they could do. Yeah. And the looks on their face, just this shot, the looks on these faces. Uh, it's just so hard to watch. It, it's very hard to watch. It's like... This is one of the most upsetting episodes that we've worked on on, on this show, and we've had a lot of um, upsetting and horrific things that have happened in Outlander because that was that era, but this has got to be one of the saddest. So <sighs> there you are for this week, episode 402. And um, thanks for being with us. Yeah. And uh, we'll be here again next week. Thank you. Thanks and good night.